And welcome, welcome once again to this house of worship. I would say welcome to the sanctuary, but we are the sanctuary, right? <laughs> so we gather uh, in this place of worship to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ and to grow alongside each other in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So welcome, and uh, if you are with us online, we want to especially welcome you also as part of our worship family this morning. I would like us just uh, for a moment here to, uh, uh, to remember uh, the George Doss family. Uh, George uh, made his uh, transition into glory, but uh, those who are left behind need your prayers, your love, your comfort. George is doing just fine, but, uh, but we do grieve with the family at his loss. We also need to be praying for Arlie Nielsen, uh, just struggling with some health issues. Uh, Mary Mo Ryan is recovering well uh, uh, after uh, heart surgery, very serious heart surgery, and uh, be praying for her and, and Pat and uh, continued healing. And I know there, there are some others I, uh, you know, just... Just a reminder, please, please review the prayer list. And if you get it online, take that very seriously. Uh, those people who submit their names are counting on their family, uh, their church family, to be praying for them. Uh, Grace 101 will begin April the 16th. Uh, we'll be meeting in the old sanctuary over here called the, uh, I don't know, we call it the conference room or whatever it is, but that's where we will meet uh, uh, just a quick review, at the end of Grace 101, there will be a 50-question test consisting of true and false and multiple choice. One essay question. You can choose the doctrinal subject to defend. The essay will count 25% of your final grade. The exam counts 50% towards your final yearly grade. Any questions? Take your name off the list. <laughs> I'm sorry. We'll have a good time just going through uh, very serious material because we're talking about biblical doctrine, uh, what we believe as a church, uh, and why we believe it. I think that's important. Uh, and so we'll be doing that. There will be plenty of time for, for discussion. We'll share the time together. Uh, but it's a, it's, and, and then we'll do just a little bit on church polity. Uh, you know, how we're structured and kind of how the whole system works. Uh, uh, and you'll be getting a, a complete workbook, I guess I'll call it, or a copy, copy of the Church Covenant and Bylaws. So um, it, it, it'll be a lot of fun and hopefully informative and enlightening. So let's take a moment. Let's pray. Well, yes, sir. Oh, my goodness. Excellent question. Crystal is gone. I tell you what, I will make a pledge right now. There will be child care. There will be child care. And I know of someone that I think would be happy to do that. Uh, I really do. So uh, if, if that's an issue or a question, uh, m check that excuse off your list. There will be child care. And we do need to pray. Uh, I know that, uh, uh, the, Kaylin, you were fairly distracted this morning during worship time. Is that true? 
Does Adam need to confess his sins before the assembly? Adam was sitting over here whopping his wife with a palm branch. Come on, guys. <laughs> Deep breath. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. A gift. This day is a gift. The very air we breathe is a gift from you. Life, such a wonderful gift. Life in Christ, life abundant, life of joy, life of hope. All gifts from you. And Father, we come this morning with needs. We've mentioned them, and certainly many were not mentioned here in the pulpit this morning, but many people, many needs, asking a great God to do his mighty work. So we come with full confidence, knowing not, not only do you hear our prayers, but you care. You care. And we know that you'll respond appropriately according to your goodwill, according to your pleasure, and for your glory. So, Father, we lay these requests at the throne of grace and confidently wait. Confidently wait for you. I ask that you prepare our hearts now as we enter into your word. May we understand these wonderful, marvelous, life-changing truths and may these accounts of Scripture live in our hearts and not just become an annual story. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is good to be back. I want to thank the church for allowing Connie and I a little bit of time off, a little breather. We had a marvelous time uh, in revival uh, down at Burnham Christian Church in North Florida. And then just enjoyed some really precious family time uh, over along St. Augustine and uh, just doing a little a little R&R. But it was uh, really good. The revival was amazing. We've seen God move in, in miraculous ways. We've seen spiritual healing, spiritual renewal, and uh, it was good to the honor of Christ. And we thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. We are here to celebrate Palm Sunday. The triumphal entry, Passover is five days away. Jerusalem is packed with pilgrims, pilgrims. We've been hearing a lot about that. We've used that word a lot uh, in recent series of sermons. And Adam, thank you for continuing that series and, and, and such a God-honoring way of bringing forth the scriptures to the flock. This is one of the three holy days that have been mentioned in the Psalms of Ascent as these pilgrims have made their way to the city of God. All four Gospels record this event. We will be using Luke's account as our base text, but we'll be drawing and bringing in some information from the other three Gospels so that we get the full picture of what happened on this day, especially Matthew so that we capture the moment. So with that brief introduction in mind, would you please, if you are able, stand with me as we read from the Scripture. We'll be reading...
chapter 19, verses 28 through 48. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. There's that term again, going what? Up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the moment, at, at, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And if I may pause just for a moment, I really wished they would have gone silent so we'd have heard the rocks. Amen? Because they would have. Verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive those who said, who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And as he was teaching daily in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Father, We've got a little bit of tough text to deal with here this morning. Not really too hard to understand. But Father, it, uh, it could bring a little conviction to our hearts. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would accomplish what only He can do. As we seek to be drawn nearer to Christ, to be transformed into His image, to love Him more, today than we did yesterday. But Father, most of all, just bless the reading of your word. Be honored by it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please be seated. Jesus and his disciples had just left Bethany where people witnessed the power of the resurrection and the life. And it was there that the, the, the leadership, the religious leaders of the day really began to get angry and they were plotting now how to 
capture this Jesus, to kill him. Passover, most important of the Jewish feast, upwards of a half a million people, possibly in Jerusalem, three, four hundred thousand people possibly, along with all the sacrificial animals that were being brought in. And then everything that was going on, all you can, t- you can just kind of picture this city of, of almost chaos with all these people roaming around inside its walls. And the king of kings calls for a donkey to ride in to these masses, this mass. The sin bearer would ride in on a beast of burden. This is the parade of parades. Everyone is cheering. Thousands throwing their cloaks on the road and laying out palm branches to settle the dust as Jesus rides in through the city gate. What a show! Sold out attendance. And in only five days, after tens of thousands of people show up for the parade, only a handful will be at the cross. Everybody loves a parade. Only a few will be there for the main event. So what is our Lord's reaction? First of all, in preaching point number one, I believe the Lord sees beyond the carnal praise. He sees beyond the carnal praise. Matthew makes it clear to us that that in organizing this event, Jesus was proclaiming his kingship. He was announcing, proclaiming his messiahship. We hear the calls of the crowds around him, calling for him to save them. Hosanna! Hosanna! They're calling for Jesus, who they now proclaim to be the son of David, to, to, son of David, to come and save them. The word Hosanna, not only a word of praise, but it is also part of a prayer for salvation. They're calling for Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, to rise up and save them. They want Jesus to take up the mantle of Moses and lead the people of Israel to freedom and power, liberty. Jesus answers their prayers, but not quite as they understood. They were looking for a new Moses who would tear down the Romans, set up a new Davidic kingdom. They were looking for a military leader who would supernaturally put down Pontius Pilate and who would reconcile the other areas of power in the promised land under something very similar to the rule of King David. They were looking for a warrior, King Messiah. Instead, what they received was someone riding in on a donkey. Oh, he would ride in as a king, but lowly, humbly, prepared to give his life as a sacrifice for his people. Jesus would be Israel's shepherd king and would become the Passover lamb. 
Jesus would wear a crown, but it would be a crown of thorns. Jesus would wear a royal robe, but it would be a robe meant for ridicule after his body had been ravaged by the beaten beatings and bruising. Jesus would stretch out his hands in power, but it would be the hands that would be impaled by Roman nails. Jesus would be lifted up, but it would not be on a human throne, but on the cross of redemption called Calvary. He saw. He beheld the city. This this superficial drama unfolding before him. He sees beyond the outward expressions, people with their Sunday faces on. Uh Uh-oh, look out. The people made their pilgrimage with a purpose to meet with God. And here he comes. Here he comes. The very God that they went up to Jerusalem to meet with. The very God that they went up to Jerusalem to sacrifice to. The very God. He's riding in on a donkey. They see him. They holler. They yell. They chant. They praise. They do all of these things. And they missed him. They missed him. They could have reached out and touched him. He was that close. They were all around him. And they missed him. They missed the real king. Friends, you can hang around church all your life. You can hang around believers. You can sing praises. You can do all the things that a good little Christian can do and miss the Lord of glory. Miss him. I heard a guy once say, you can stand in the forest for the rest of your life and you ain't ever going to become a tree. It takes transformation. It takes conversion. You see, Jesus sees beyond the facade that hides our sins. The smiles that blink back our tears. And he stops and he weeps. He weeps. He is grieved by what he sees in people's lives, hiding behind religious activity. In Revelation 3, John writes, And to the angel of the church at Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would you uh, would that you were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I'm rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I want you to know something. I'm going to give you a brief introduction to the funeral service for George Doss. When I walked into uh, to the hospital on one of the visits, maybe the initial uh, first time I walked in and uh, there was a cell phone laying on George's chest and it was playing hymns and George was singing and everybody in the room was singing 
singing hymns, praising God. And George said, I want to talk to you about my funeral. <laughs> First thing he said, I want to talk to you about my funeral. Didn't hesitate. No hesitation in his voice whatsoever. He said, I want Amazing Grace is one of my songs. And he said, I want you to make sure that the people know what a wretch is. He said, we don't use that word much in our language anymore. We just heard it from Revelation. But he said, I want you to tell the people what a wretch is because that's what I was when God saved me. Folks, we're wretches, despised. We're at the bottom of the heap. Nothing good about us, nothing good in us, and we can't do a thing about it, but Christ, but Christ saved a wretch like George Doss. Christ saved a wretch like Elvin Dillard. Doris, you're a, you're a godly woman by the grace of God. But you were once a wretch. Hey, yeah, yeah. You see, that's the first step to salvation, brothers and sisters. Listen to me very carefully. That's the first step to salvation. You got to understand how lost you are and how far sin has separated us from a holy and righteous God. We got to get this message, folks. We got to get it, and we got to get it soon. We are wretches apart from Jesus Christ. We may be just a bit too proud of ourselves. I counsel you, John writes, to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline to be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on the throne as I also have conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And if you're familiar with that famous portrait of Jesus standing at the door and knocking, first of all, there's no handle on the outside of the door. In the painting, there's no way to open the door from the outside. You have to open the door from the inside. And Jesus, although that, that, that is used most often, quite often, for individual evangelism, he's knocking on the door to the church. Folks, we got a nation full of churches that ain't let Jesus in yet. And then we look at the news and we wonder why everything's gone to the heck of a handbag, okay? The Lord was not impressed. He was not impressed. Point number two, moving ahead rapidly. Oh, my land, the Lord condemns their pious hypocrisy. The Lord condemns the pious hypocrisy. Brothers and sisters, please forgive me. I ain't, well, I preached once in March. I just feel like I got so much I want to share this morning. <laughs> please forgive me. His first public act after his entry was probably the next morning. He's going to clean house. Isn't that great? 
He's going to clean house. Wiersbe says, instead of praying for the people, the priests were praying on the people. The temple was not a house of prayer. It was a den of thieves. G. Campbell Morgan reminds us that a den of thieves is a place where thieves run to hide after they've committed their wicked deeds. The religious leaders were using the services of the holy temple to cover up their sins. But before he could condemn them too harshly, we have we ever gone to church and participated in religious worship just to give people the impression that we are godly? Jesus cleaned house. It is written, my house. My house, Jesus said, shall be a house of prayer. My house, the temple. What is the Lord's temple today? Every believer. Every believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In that day, it was the temple where the Holy of Holies were and where God himself dwelt. But 1 Corinthians says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Jesus is grieved over the condition and conduct of those in the temple. So how does he feel about the church? If there's fighting and division and strife and conflict and people just put on their Sunday faces and play religious games, that's what Jesus is addressing here. So Jesus tells us this parable. In the preceding chapter of Luke, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like a tax collector. You see, he's a wretch. <laughs> but I'm not like him. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he, the one who humbles himself, will be exalted. I assure you, Jesus will not spare his judgment on his house, the church, today. Peter says, for it is time for judgment to begin with the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? His second act. He not only cleanses the temple, he curses the poor little fig tree. Insignificant? No, not at all. Here again, he's condemning fake or fruitless living. The fig tree beautifully adorned with leaves, every appearance of being healthy and strong, but there's no fruit. There's no fruit. Everyone could see the outward greenery, but Jesus looked at the barren branches. You know, I was taken by this scripture, and I, I thought for a minute. I sat back, and I considered, wow, that seemed a little unfair to the fig tree. And then I thought about leaves. And I thought, how far does this go back? Well, it goes back to the very beginning, doesn't it? What did Adam and Eve go for as soon as they fell and were ashamed of their nakedness, what did they go for? Fig leaves. Fig leaves. It goes clear back. They were covering up their shame and their guilt with fig leaves. Look nice. Look pretty. But God sees beyond the fig leaves. 
He sees beyond the fig leaf. So I'm going to tell you something, and don't take this out of context this morning, and I hope nobody edits it, pulls it out, because it could sound really bad if isolated. But it's time to get naked. Look out. Isn't it? Drop the fig leaves. It's okay, spiritually speaking. Now, I tell you, somebody's going to pull that, and you're going to see it on YouTube. Pastor of Grace Community Church says everybody should. But, folks, we do it. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of looking for the fig leaves so I can look pretty rather than deal what's going on down deep inside. Point number three, the Lord cares about our pain. He wept, passion, compassion, meek. Pain is a result of sin. Sin causes pain. Sin brought suffering, and it would cost the Lord his life. He would bear all the pain and all the suffering for our sins. Every act of disobedience is sin and brings pain. Why do people think they can fool God? The words we say, the stories we tell, the gossip that we repeat, all bring pain and sorrow to the living God. Why do we do those things? Why? And Jesus wept because Jesus cares. The Lord knows our full potential. Point number four. Many tombstones could be engraved with, oh, what might have been if, if, Jerusalem, the city of peace, the city of blessing, the city of war and grief. I can't even remember how many times it's been leveled. It's been completely destroyed, like seven times, and completely leveled and rebuilt. That's why it, 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 the city of Jerusalem kept getting higher and higher. They kept building the new city on the rubble of the last one. Is your life, and if you had known, will your life end with Oh, what might have been if? Are you living out Christ's potential in you? Or are you what a what might have been? Luke 19, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. Where will we be when all of our worldly possessions are taken away and all of our hard work and labor fail to provide and all that we thought was secure is gone? Where will we be? Jesus knows. Jesus cares. Jesus is weeping for us this morning because I fear we've put in way too much confidence in the things of this world than we have in the living Christ. Guilty. Guilty. Maybe you've blown it. Maybe you've blown it. Jesus knows. Drop the fig leaves. Drop them. Let them go. He knows. And he cares. Don't you think for a moment you've fallen beyond his grace. Don't you let the devil lie to you like that. You have not outsinned his grace. I tried. And he saved me anyway. 
Don't underestimate his grace. Don't underestimate his mercy. That's why he's weeping, folks. Do you see it? He's weeping because his, his cry is to call out for me. Come to me, you who are weak, or weak and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He's weeping because people are rejecting him. They're putting on a parade. They're putting on this facade. They're putting on this great celebration. And yet they don't recognize the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the King of glory. And he weeps. Oh, if you'd only known. If you'd only known. You see, the Lord longs to give us peace. His peace does not come through the things of this world. His peace is in him, his person, his presence, and only Jesus can give you peace this morning. Peace I leave with you, he said. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is saying, I know what's going on. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our battles. He knows our struggles. He knows our failures. He knows our, our, our stumbling blocks. He knows, he knows, he knows, he knows, and he cares. He cares. He cares. Let him heal you this morning. Let him heal you this morning. Let him set you free. The parade is over. It's time for the main event. Come to the cross. That's where he bids us come. Come to the cross and die with me there so that I may raise you just as I have been raised, he says. So take off your Sunday go to meeting garb and put on the righteous robe of Christ. It will cover all of our sins. It will. Game over. The true journey begins. Everybody loves a parade. It's a wide gate. Wide gate. But a big, big parade through the wide gate. But Jesus said, I'm a narrow gate. I'm a narrow gate. And don't have much use for a lot of hoopla. But have great love for those who will confess their sins and find grace and mercy sufficient to forgive and restore. Father, thank you for this day. Tough moment. Tough moment for our Lord. Tough moment for us. But there's, there's a happy ending. <laughs> there, there, there's a joyful ending. All oh, the suffering our Savior, indescribable, unfathomable. We can never really understand the level of suffering that he endured on our behalf. 
the horrors of the crucifixion, we'll never really understand. Not in our generation, not in our times. The inhumanity to human beings. And then he died. He died. Was all hope gone? No. Hope was just about to take on a whole new life as he walked out of the tomb three days later. So, Father, I only know of one way to getting to the resurrection, and that's to pass through death. And if we're not willing to die, not for our sins, but to our sins, if we're not willing to die to ourselves, then I think we have deprived the Lord's offer to give us the resurrection and the life. May this church not be. I wonder what might have been. If only we'd have let the Lord be the Lord.